And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. I am going to do something unusual for me as a preacher. I normally am not a prop person, but I kind of have a prop. Um, And it's maybe kind of campy, so apologies. But I need everyone to look under their seat. What? It's under there. Everyone should have a dollar bill under their seats. This is my Oprah moment. Like, you get a dollar, you get a dollar, everyone gets a dollar, right? Um, It's under there. Uh, I think Mike and Ryan really wanted you guys to work for it, Um, but they all have dollars. Um, I wanted y'all to have a piece of money. Um, Yeah, he's already figured out, like, there are empty seats. There are extra dollars. It's true. There are. Um, I wanted y'all to have a piece of money and to hold it in your hands as we begin this series on money and to feel its realness, uh, to take stock of its materiality, its physicality, to to know that money is a thing. As you look at that dollar bill, imagine all the places that dollar has been. What has it been used for? What has it purchased? What circumstances, what emotions have attended its spending on both sides of the transaction, so both the purchaser and the seller? Uh, No doubt that dollar has been used for good things and bad things, for needs and wants. Uh, It's been spent frivolously because it's just a dollar. It's been spent desperately as someone's last dollar. The dollar bill you're holding has brought delight to people, like a little kid buying candy, uh, a postage stamp to send to uh, a friend, a sick friend maybe. Uh, That cash is provided for people's needs, a diversity of people. It's bought groceries for a family. It's bought a fare for a bus ride to work. Uh, Many of us don't use cash anymore, and that shows our wealth, that we have bank accounts and credit cards, but there is a significant cash economy that supports huge segments of the population, right? Undocumented workers, houseless friends who don't have access to banks. Um, That dollar was important to somebody um, once, and it'll be important to somebody like that again. It'll be in circulation. I think the oldest dollar here is 2003. Um, And so that's a long time to be moving about. And then sadly, that dollar also has no doubt been used for harm. Um, It's been like the last beer before a DUI, um, a bullet. And it's heavy to realize the reality of money. Um, All money, all wealth has a story behind it. And we like to imagine that money, especially our money, is storyless. Uh, because without a story, it's emptied of meaning. It's just a piece of paper, right? Um, and that's not entirely a bad thing. That's actually what makes 
capitalism so effective. Money's emptiness um, makes our economy work well. It's how we compare apples and oranges, right? We're able to do that because um, of cash. This week in San Francisco, that dollar will buy you a pound of oranges, a third pound of apples, or if you'd prefer one or two cigarettes, right? Um, It's all the same, but those things are not the same, but the magic of money is that it makes them the same. It reduces the quality of things to mere quantity. How much does it cost? How much is it worth? How much am I worth? And the good of that is how it just clears the way for us to do business really efficiently and effectively. Um, We are able to compare outcomes, to make wise decisions about investment and risk, and to do all this across cultural boundaries. Um, That's the beauty of cash and numbers, right? I don't really need to know the story of that dollar bill to use it. It doesn't matter where it's been. It's still a dollar, and I can spend it. I don't need to know your story to do business with you. Um, I don't need to know your culture, your customs, your language. Money is our shared language. Money is our shared culture. But therein lies the danger, right? Like, that doesn't sound great, that money is our language, but it's true. Money, as we think about it, is empty. And so how can money be our shared language and culture when it has no meaning? When it strips everything it touches of meaning. In the modern world, money liquidates everything. So it may take a while to be liquid, but it it strips everything of meaning. That's the magic of money, it's emptiness. We would all say that this is just a piece of paper, and it is. There's nothing behind it, there's not even gold. I don't know if we have any gold standard fans here or whatever, but that's not true anymore, right? It's just a piece of paper. It has no story, it has no meaning, it's just business. It's a means to an end, and it's up to us to decide what that end is. But ironically, money does that job so well that the means quickly become the ends. It's the thing we live for, right? Because money can be anything in our world. Because it can be anything, it has become everything, The philosopher George Simmel wrote, the cultural power of money lies in its becoming the absolute means. You can do anything with it and thereby becoming psychologically the absolute purpose for people. It's the parable of the rich fool who built larger and larger barns for his food stores, but he died before he could eat it. And so he missed the point of the food. The food is for eating. It's for sharing. He lost the meaning Money needs meaning. Money needs a story to live in. Um, Of course, it needs a future tense. That's most of the meaning that we impute in money. Like, what can I do with it? What can I get with it? Um, and, And that's important because apples, oranges, and cigarettes are not the same. And so we need values which help us discern um what to do with our money. Uh, We need to know more about money than what it can or can't buy. Uh, It's like knowing the price of everything but the value of nothing. We need to be people that know the value of things. In order to flourish as human beings, we need to be able to tell the qualitative difference between things and not just their quantitative difference. Our money needs a future. Our money also needs a past. 
Uh, how did we come to possess our money and wealth? Uh, that's important to know, and it should affect how we spend it. Uh, there's a difference between money that's earned, money that's been gifted, money that's been loaned and has to be repaid, like the, the past of our money affects um, us. And of course, money earned selling computers and money earned selling math is not the same, right? And so the past to our money is good. These days, people are asking themselves a lot more and more about the history of money, the history of wealth. How does American slavery, for example, affect our understanding of, Amer of American wealth? Uh, can I honestly say that my wealth is pr purely the fruit of honest, hard work, or has my wealth been tainted with injustice? What's the story? What's the past to my money? Um, I'm a white man who grew up in the South, uh, but my ancestors were fairly poor. Um, there's no landed gentry in, in my past, and yet I have definitely benefited from racist systems. And so how does that affect my understanding um, of what I have? What am I responsible for? How far back in history do I have to go? Does the story of my money change the value of my money? It did for many of us when we were holding that dollar. A lot of you cringed when I said, where's that money been? And a lot of you just like didn't want to touch it. Um, right? And so how does the story of money, both paper money and uh, uh, virtual money, I guess, um, how does that change the value of my money? Um, does the story of your money change the value of you? How does it affect your own awareness of yourself? And so in that way, finally, our money needs a present tense. It needs a future tense. What am I going to do with it? It needs a past tense. Where did it come from? And then it's gonna, it needs a present tense. Like Money has meaning while we hold on to it. It affects how we think about ourselves. It affects our anxiety levels. It affects our sense of our own worth. Whether it's much or little, how does money impact our identity? How does it impact my story? Who gets to tell that story? Today, we're beginning a sermon series entitled Gift, The True Story of Money. Over 11 weeks, we're going to let God, through his word, the Bible, tell the story of money, of our wealth and possessions, of all wealth and possessions. And rather than approach it topically, um, all those questions that I asked, all the sort of uh, things that we teased in meaning, like that's so big and so impossible. And so rather than sort of trying to answer all those questions, we're going to think about it like a story. Uh, Christians believe the Bible is the true story of the whole world. It is for me the story within which every other story lives, including my story and the story of our money. And so over the next two months, we'll be able to see how our relationship with wealth unfolds across God's story, beginning with creation and then the fall, uh, Israel, Jesus, the, our future, what God created us for, how sin corrupted that purpose, and how the gospel redeems and restores. On the fourth week of every month this fall, starting next week, uh, is, the fourth, is the fourth week of August, uh, we won't have a sermon, but we'll have a discussion, uh, because there's just so much here. Um, and so we want to talk about it. The Bible is an ancient book, and it reflects ancient economics. And so it's not going to be a one-to-one -one match um, to our context. So for example, in ancient Israel, charging interest um, when loaning money was largely forbidden. Uh, you weren't allowed to charge interest on loans. 
Um, that's not something that we can really map onto our present life. Like modern capitalism depends on interest-bearing loans. Um, we're thinking about having to buy a second car, which really sucks. But that, like we need, <laughs> we need an interest-bearing loan for that. Um, that is something that uh, we don't have any power to do anything about. Um, even if we did, I don't think the Bible is asking us to go back to ancient Israel. But the Bible is asking us, what do we learn about God's character from the fact that he commanded Israel to never charge interest for their loans. What does that tell us about God? What does that tell us about how God views wealth and poverty, about what he expects of his people, and about the vision he has for us as a community and for our world? And hopefully we'll get some of that in sermons, but our discussion Sundays will create more space to reflect together as a community on how the Bible story should impact how we live I'm really hopeful for this series. I'm excited about it. I'm also pretty intimidated by it. It's such a, it's such a monster topic um, that's complex and emotional. Um, and so before we begin, let's pray and ask God's help for this. Dear Father, we are thankful for all the ways that you have provided for us, but we recognize that all of our stories, um, the story of our money included, is complicated. It's mixed. Uh, there is good. There is bad. And we need grace. We need wisdom. We need courage to be obedient in today's world with our money with our wealth and possessions, with what we have. Would you help us this morning? Would you also help us uh, over the next two and a half months? As we talked about this morning, our, we want our good works to lead to your glory, that people would see our good deeds and give glory to you. And I pray that that would be true in the way that we think about money, the way that we think about wealth, the way we spend it, um, the way we spend it for feasting and celebrating for parties and joy, uh, the way we fast in the use of our money, the way we deny ourselves uh, things because we want to use money in, uh, for others. Uh, Father, help us to be a wise people, Help us to be a faithful people. Help us to be a courageous people uh, in the use of our money. Uh, we need you for this. Um, I need you this morning, and so help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the story of money begins in the same place that the story of everything begins. Uh, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, it's impossible to capture the significance of this verse and this truth. Uh, we could talk for a long time about how God's creation of everything impacts our wealth and how we think about wealth. We could talk about how it implies God's ownership of everything. He created it, so he owns it. And we are simply stewards of, that prop of what properly belongs to God. 
Uh, we could talk about how God's creation of everything implies his design of everything. Uh, he created it intelligently. Uh, so he designed wealth and money and people and work, uh, math, all the things that go into our economics. And so flourishing requires that we live in accordance with that design. Uh, but what I want to focus on today is how God's creation of everything reflects his generosity. That creation for God is pure generosity. And that is very relevant to our thoughts on money. Uh, Christians have long believed in the doctrine of creation from nothing. Creation ex nihilo is the Latin phrase. Um, and this isn't just some philosophical necessity that secures God's independence, God's place at the top of everything, although that is what it does. Um, unlike other religious traditions which believe matter is eternal alongside God or describe creation as chaotic and so God is wrestling order out of chaos, uh, by contrast, the Christian view, creation from nothing, means that there was no uh, chaos before creation. Uh, there was no matter to work with. It was just God. There was no divine need waiting to be met by us, right? God wasn't lonely or bored or needing worshipers. Uh, God, prior to creation, in himself, triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, was perfectly content and happy in himself. Uh, creation didn't add anything to his blessedness. And what that means for us is that the creation of the universe was a gift entirely. With all its staggering diversity of structures, forms, energy, environments, plants, animals, stars, planets, tastes, sounds, smells, and sights, all of it Every bit of it was pure gift. James Petty writes, God is the original giver. And because of the cosmic unfathomable levels of gifting that God demonstrated as the creator, the moral environment of the universe itself is one of giving. Giving turns out to be the primary way that God expresses his goodness and love to us humans. I love that line, the moral environment of the universe is itself one of giving. That is the foundation. That's what creation from nothing teaches us about money and stuff, wealth, possessions, everything. It's all a gift. Our wealth, our possessions, our stuff, the possessions of others, along with everything else in the universe, began and continues to be a divine gift. I've told lots of people about it, uh, trying to sell people on it, but Maggie has gotten our family watching a nature series on Apple TV called Tiny World, and I have to give her complete credit because I grumbled so much about it. Um, but then I'm just delighted with it. Um, typical of nature shows, each episode focuses on like a certain biosphere, so deserts, forests, oceans, um, except this series focuses on the tiny animals in those uh, spheres. This is the world's tiniest shrew, uh, sheltering under a mushroom cap. Um, the show is marvelous. The intelligence and beauty and glory of these creatures, whose lives are entirely irrelevant to human activity and culture, and yet they're very relevant to worship. They've become very relevant. Like, I mean, 
it, it's wild. Scientists have taken, what, how many thousands of years for people to discover these things? And this series has me walking through Golden Gate Park just marveling at all the life I cannot see. There's so much happening all the time. Uh, similarly, a few years ago, there was a book, I Contain Multitudes. I don't know if you remember this, um, a health book uh, on the millions of bacteria that live in our bodies, uh, that we have creatures that live inside of our stomachs, inside of ourselves, helping us to do everything we need to do, little universes that are inside of us. It's amazing. And if you set down the microscope and pick up the telescope, right, you have more things to wonder at. James Webb telescope showed us last month, the universe is billions of trillions of uh, miles across. And it's all gift, every bit of it is created freely from God's love and goodness. Psalm 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. And this has to impact our thoughts on money. Uh, if it doesn't impact our day-to-day -day exchange, we become like Scrooge's, right? Scrooge is like so focused. He's, he's entirely neglecting the beautiful life, the families around him, the people around him, and so zeroed in. And so the biblical story asks us to pick our head up and see the wonder of gift around us. The theological word for this explosion of creativity is superabundance. God's creation is superabundant. It's over the top. It's more than we can fathom, and it's all gift. None of it was done out of a sense of neediness. None of it was done out of compulsion, begrudging. Every bit of God's creative work was pure gift, pure grace. And God is still giving. In everything he does, he gives of himself. This is what God did before the universe existed, when it was just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, timelessly giving and receiving glory to one another. And so in that way, giving is very much the moral environment of the Trinity. It is what God did when he first created and he continues to give by sustaining the universe. Our existence moment by moment is dependent on him continuing to gift existence to us, constantly sustaining us. Every breath we take, every thing that we taste, it's all a gift. Even after the fall, God didn't stop giving. He didn't, he didn't slow up. He didn't reconsider. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So the same God who gifted us the universe is still just as generous today as he was then. Acts 14 points to his continued generosity to all peoples. Uh, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to work in their own ways Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And so if you ate food this week, if you experienced any gladness, it was the work of God. 
the generous and free gift of God. He gives health and life and joy and laughter. He gives us rest and work. He gives us intelligence and emotion. He gives us maturity through difficulty. That's a gift of the Lord, the challenges that we run up against. And even when we refuse to thank and honor him for his gifts, he gave us grace, which literally just means gift. That's what grace is. Giving his only son, Jesus Christ, for our redemption. He gave the Holy Spirit for our sanctification, and he gave us one another so that we could begin to rebuild this kingdom community that he had given and we had lost. Giving is what God does. And that is because God is love and power, and love and power combined, what is that? A resulting gift. God couldn't give anything if he was only love and not power, and he wouldn't give anything if he was power and not love, but he is both of those things. It's common to hear that money is power, and it is, truly. Money is power. Uh, the question remains, though, power to do what? What is it for? And in God's universe, money is the power to give. That is what money is for. That's what that dollar bill is for. It came to your hand as a gift, and it is meant to leave your hand as a gift. If the two great commandments are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, money is one way that God provides for our obedience. He provides lots of ways. He gives us health. He gives us time. He gives us skills. Um, but he also gives us money in different measure so that we might obey him and love God and love others. Money is stored love. Right? Love in transit, love in process, which is why hoarding is so destructive to a worshiping community, right? It's sort of stopping up the love. It's stopping the flow of love that is meant to drive this universe. I was reading an article this week about gift economies. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. Um, it's a real term used by sociologists describing cultures where valuables aren't sold, but rather they're given with an expectation of return, um, but without an explicit agreement or contract uh, or anything like that. And so, for example, if I lived in rural Nigeria among the Tiv community and I needed three eggs, I could come to you, my neighbor, and ask for three eggs, and you would give them to me. And in a gift economy, it would be inappropriate for me to never bring anything back. So, so I have an obligation, a relational obligation, to return uh, the gift to you. Um, otherwise, I'm an exploiter or a parasite in the community. But at the same time, it would be inappropriate for me to come and bring exactly three eggs. That would be offensive. I need to bring a little less or a little more. Because to bring an exact equivalent suggests that I don't want a relationship with you anymore. I want to be free. We're good. You don't need me. I don't need you. We're, we're all clear. But in a gift economy, there, we want imbalance because it keeps us together. It keeps us in relationship. That is beautiful. The American dream is one of financial independence. That's what we want. We want to be completely independent. 
That is not the dream of the gift economy, and it is not the dream of God's universe that we would be financially independent. The doctrine of creation reminds us that we are never financially independent. Everything we have is a gift. And that reality makes us indebted to him in the best way. You don't want to not be indebted to God. You want to be bound to him. And not only are we indebted to him, we're indebted to our fellow image bearers through whom we have received gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We need one another. And there is a constant uh, gifting that happens in this church and in relationship where I give something to you and you give something to me, and it's not a contract, it's not an explicit agreement, and it, it knits us together as a community. Leah Sargent, Leah Labresco Sargent writes, the gift economy is marked by circulation and with it a perennial question, should I still be the one to hold what I possess? It's constantly moving. Ever since the beginning of creation, God's goodness, God's wealth has been constantly moving among people. And so I'm asking, should I still be the one to hold this or is it time for me to pass it along? We could talk about God's generosity for hours. Indeed, we will talk about it for eternity. In a million years, we will still be discovering the treasure hidden in our world, the truth, goodness, and beauty embedded in the universe, in its nature, in its art, in its music, in humanity, in one another. But let's stop and think about that dollar bill again. What is the story of that dollar? What is the story of your dollars? Its past is gift. If you go all the way back, that's where it came from. That's how it started. Every good thing that is yours is a gift from God above, including your money. And God's gift came through other image bearers, connecting you not only to God, but to your neighbor. Your money came to you as a gift, and that's where it's going to. That's the other side. The future of that dollar is meant to be gift. That's what your money is for. It is love on hold. Love for God and love for others. Maybe you'll buy a lollipop with it and remember the gladness that God gives. And, and that will be the gift, that you'll be giving glory to God with the use of your money. Uh, maybe it'll be on hold for a while. You're saving for retirement, for your kid's college. But why? It's still a stored love. It is a capacity to love. You are loving people with your money. That's what your money is, potential love. And we'll talk in two weeks about what happened, you know, when we come to the fall, like what, what destroyed this beautiful uh, partnership that we have. Um, but for now, at this point in the story, we can say that money started as a gift and that it, gift is its future too. We might have changed because of sin, but God has not changed. He is still just as generous as he ever was. It is who he is, and neither has the universe changed. It's still an expression of gift constantly. That is the moral foundation of the universe. The story of money is gift, 
And that should shape our present experience of wealth and money. It should shape our identity, right? 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you have not been given? Why then do you boast? Money should impact our anxieties. Give money as gifts. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, and yet their heavenly Father gives them food. Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. If God so clothes the grass of the field, will he not also clothe you? It opens our eyes to God's abundance and leads us to worship. In a world so richly provided for, why am I so sensitive to scarcity? And is there not enough for us here? Are there not always available to me places for laughter and delight and wonder around me all the time? Psalm 145, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The world is singing to you and me all the time, if only we'll listen. How would our weeks be impacted? How would our finances be impacted? The, our emotions around our finances if we remembered that the moral environment of the universe is giving. If giving is what made the universe, giving is what the universe is for, giving is what the kingdom is for. Now, of course, your money has a complicated history, as does mine. Uh, the story of that dollar bill is the story of all of our lives. Uh, but the beauty of the Bible, the beauty of the gospel, is that its story and your story is redeemable. God is moving us back in that direction. He wants us to get back to the gift economy. God the Father gave his only begotten son to redeem us from our checkered past and restore the world so that no matter the story of that dollar bill, in Christ, its story can be redeemed. It can be turned around and used for love. Um, so much of the nihilism on display in conversations about justice is because there's no hope of redemption. And so we learn a great deal about the injustice and blood on our money, but then we don't know what to do with it. And so you just really are stuck. What do I do? The gospel tells us what to do with it. We take it to Jesus and we let his blood wash it clean. And then from that point, we can turn and use our money for good, for love, love of God and love of others. Jesus gave his life so that we might again become givers Lovers, like God, in 1 John 4, 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Giving is what God does. And he invites us to participate in that too. It's in our confidence in the gospel, remembering God's super abundant generosity toward us that we are free to become generous ourselves, to align our lives with the universe that God made, with the kingdom that he has restored, the gift economy. 
That is the true story of your money. It is a gift. It was given to you and you are meant to pass it along. That's the true story of your life. And so will you join hands with God and with his church, receiving and giving in his name forever? Let's pray.